Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Sikama show. This is episode nine, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Uh, if the intros are a little different, that's because I have a special guest talking with us today to get us prepped for week two action, Eagles Bucks. Trevor Sikama is here with us today. Follow him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Follow his work for Pewter Report. Also, he does great stuff on Locked On NFL Draft. Trevor, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good. It's uh, it's good to be with you, Michael. Yes. And Trevor, before we begin, uh, I just want to congratulate you on your success, man, because being in the Tampa Bay area and having followed you for a while now and having the extreme pleasure of sharing some drinks with you at the Senior Bowl. Uh, look, I turn on sports radio on my morning drive and there you are. Uh, the Jameis Winston story <laughs> broke and there you are on local news. I look on the Twitter timeline and you've got some stupid, hilarious viral tweet all over my timeline. I go to get my NFL draft fix and there you are killing it with our buddy John Ledyard on Lockdown NFL Draft. So congrats on all your current and future success. It's awesome to see. What's it like being a rising Big J star covering football for a living? <laughs> big, big J journalism. That's what it is. No, it's been fun, man. It's been a it's been a crazy ride. Over the last year, I'm kind of from this Tampa area. And so it was a really good start to my career, uh, being able to settle and and cover a team that I've known a lot about. And that has kind of taken me into a lot of different avenues, which, you know, whether it's writing or TV or radio. And I've met so many great people, so many people who are so good at their work, yourself included. And I do think it is very funny how you and I live about 45 minutes from each other. And we've never hung out like here. I've only seen you in Mobile, Alabama. And it was great the one time that we did. But obviously, you and I kind of doing our thing on both ends of the spectrum. So um, it's a blast, man. It's a lot of fun. But you know that now you're you're full time in it. You know uh, how fun it can be, how, how much of a grind it can be. But it's definitely an enjoyable thing, definitely because of the uh, the people that you get to meet and the cool opportunities you get to have, like uh, being on this podcast, of course. For sure, for sure, and uh, hopefully we get to meet up some sometime either right before the Bucks game or after the Bucks game or something because uh, I'm going to be there and it's going to be awesome. Look, 
let's not dance around the bush here. The Bucks in a move in a, in a win that everybody saw coming. The entire For, NFL yeah, sports. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Forty-eight to forty. Yes. They they put up an offensive juggernaut against the New Orleans Saints and come away with the Week One win. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's best day ever: four hundred and seventeen yards, four touchdowns. But I did see that they brought in Brogan Roback in for a visit the hard knock star is Fitzpatrick's job in jeopardy already oh you know it's uh you know it's it's dicey you know after that kind of a game they were really hoping for 50 points and they <laughs> just came up short so that's why you know you got to bring Brogan in for the insurance you know you just never know look Ryan Fitzpatrick is on pace for 6,600 yards and 64 <laughs> touchdowns is that sustainable <laughs> uh you know what I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna say yes no it was Man, that that whole that whole first week was crazy. I, Tampa Bay, like Tampa Bay, has never been known for offense. Like at any point in the franchise's forty years here, have they been known for offense? I mean, all the success that they've had, obviously with the Tony Dungy, even when John Gruden was there, it was all built through the defense. They've never had a true franchise quarterback. I know some people are going to yell at me um, just because they would think that it's Jameis Winston, but obviously mm. that's a little shaky. But offense has just never been in this team's DNA, and to go out week one on the road against the Saints and know that you've gotta you've gotta put up a hefty amount of points to keep up with this team with your backup quarterback. I mean, I was telling you, man, I, I was I was just laughing in the press box at some of this stuff. Some of the throws that he was making, the calls that they did, uh, it was <laughs> Never would have seen that coming. I really didn't. I really did not see that coming. And part of the reason for the offensive success, at least right now, what we can attribute it to is that head coach Cutter, who was calling the plays last year, has officially turned the play calling reins over to offensive coordinator Todd Munkin. And how has that affected the, the way that the offense is constructed and deployed? And do you think that was a big difference for them in week one? Yeah, so just to give a little backstory of it, um, Cutter was the offensive coordinator back when it was Lovey Smith's first year, or final final year, sorry, as the Buccaneers head coach. And when they decided to get rid of Lovey Smith, that was in 2015, 2016, they promoted Dirk Cutter because they didn't want to lose the consistency that they had with, with Jameis Winston coming off of his rookie year. Uh, Winston did have quite a bit of stats. He, he showed some nice things, and, and they thought that that consistency with him and with Dirk Cutter being the offensive mind that he is and the play caller, they thought that was going to be good moving forward. And so for the last three years now, two years as him as a head coach, Cutter has been calling plays. He's been the head coach, but he's also been the guy on the headset on the sideline with the play sheet calling the plays every game. Um, not to say that he comes up with the offensive game plan himself. It's totally a team effort between him and the staff, but he was the one kind of making the final decision on game day. Hmm. Now, 2016 and 2017 go by and this team couldn't get it done. Couldn't score in the red zone. Couldn't put enough points up. Couldn't be efficient in the right areas of offense to continue to sustain drives, put up enough points to win the game. Now, they were kind of in the middle of the pack when it came to, oh, look at the NFL averages. You know, we're kind of right there in the middle of the pack with a lot of teams. But they couldn't get it done. And I know the defense was a big problem too, but the offense, especially in the red zone, scoring points, where, where, where offensive play callers make their money is when space is more limited. And that often comes you know, on situational third downs and in the red zone. And they couldn't really get it done with him as the play caller. So coming into this year, Todd Munkin, who was the offense coordinator once Cutter got the job, uh, he has been, he was the offense coordinator at Oklahoma State back when Brandon Whedon and Justin Blackman were lighting up college football. They had the number one and number two offense 
offenses in the country for those two years that he was their offense coordinator. Then he goes to Southern Miss uh, to be the head coach. They were, I think, ranked 113th in offense before he got there. And then I think that they were a top 10 offense in his final year there before he took the job with the Buccaneers. So this guy obviously knows what he's doing with offense. Going into the year, Dirk Cutter, he also he coached the wide receivers at uh, for the Buccaneers as well. And going into this year, Dirk Cutter said, okay, now you're just going to be offense coordinator. I'm not going to have you worry about a position group. You're not going to be the wide receivers coach too. You're just going to be the offense coordinator. You're going to help me with the game planning. We're going to score some points this year. So going into the preseason, Dirk Cutter actually says, hey, you know what? I'm going to give Munkin the reins for play calling during the preseason. And before the per- first preseason game, we said, is this going to continue in the regular season? And Dirk Cutter said, no. He said, no, I'm going to take play calling back when the regular season comes around. This is kind of just a reward for Todd. You know, all the hard work he's done, he deserves to prove himself as a play caller. Well, he ends up he ends up killing it in the preseason. That first team looked really good in the preseason. And here we go, week one. They never answered our question when we asked who was calling plays. We end up finding out actually during the broadcast at the beginning of the Saints game who was actually calling the plays. And um, boy, it was... It was a masterpiece of a game plan. It really was the way that uh, the way that Todd Munkin attacked certain types of coverages. And um, if the Saints, if if uh, the Saints ran the three like th- the same kind of coverage three times in a row, yeah. Dirk, the, the the fourth play, Dirk Cutter would basically or uh, Todd Munkin would basically dial up a play that ended in a touchdown, mm. and that happened three separate times in that game. And so. You could just tell that with Munkin being up in the booth as opposed to being on the sideline, he can see everything. He almost gets that all 22 angle, obviously, if you will. He can see the coverages. He can see the defense as a whole. And, you know, I know it's only one week. Don't want to totally overreact, but he looked like he was in total control that game. And obviously, they outdueled a, a future Hall of Famer in Drew Brees and, and Sean Payton in, on the scoreboard because of it. And I'm glad you brought up the the scheming aspect of the the dialing of the big plays based on the coverages that we were saying that we were seeing, and this kind of ties into my next question. Deshaun Jackson had a, had a big day. They did a great job scheming him open, especially on his 58 yard touchdown. That deep dig on the outside held the middle of the field safety, allowed Jackson working from the slot to scream across that deep middle zone of Marcus Williams. Uh, on the day, five targets, five receptions, 146 yards, two touchdowns, tremendous day. And look, I can empathize considering our current wide receiver situation with the injuries here in Philadelphia. <laughs> but uh, Jackson uh, suffered a concussion, may not be available for week one. Any updates on his status? How does that affect the offense? Now, so, you know, we'll go into, you know, we're recording this podcast on a Wednesday. And so they'll they'll go into today, really get the first the first word of how he might be going into this weekend, because as you probably know, and a lot of people know, once you go into concussion protocol, it's not up to the team anymore. You know, right. it's all up to the NFL. It's the NFL. Uh, they're the ones who monitor that. And boy, do you want to do the whole like gun to your head thing? Do you think he plays? I ultimately think that he he doesn't play, which is a real bummer, especially yeah. for Jackson going up against Philadelphia. But the reason why I say I don't think he plays is because he took that. That was a hard hit straight yeah. head to the turf, uh, full speed. When he got that concussion, he was on the ground for a long time. I'm sure, you know, Jackson, especially, you know, knowing who he is and the matchup, the team that he's getting to go up against this week, he's going to work as hard as he can to try and play in this game. I would say that it's it's, it's going to be a stretch for him to play in this game. But uh, um, obviously the Buccaneers used him very well against New Orleans. They used him in a lot of different ways, really the perfect ways. 
to be a mismatch player and that guy that boy, I've been pounding the table for them to put him more in the slot. Yeah. Use him more as a complimentary piece. Use his speed, not just deep down the field, but as a distraction, as a, you know, as a decoy, also getting the ball in his hands right away, letting him do yards after the catch, all that kinds of stuff. And so it did seem like they were they were using him a little bit better in that way in New Orleans, which is why it's kind of it might be a bummer if he can't go this week. I've thought for a while that that slot role should be where he should be in Tampa oh my Bay. Goodness. Yeah. And I was 100% with you. And you saw, I mean, it, it paid dividends. You definitely got a return investment on that move. Speaking of wide receivers, our son, my wide receiver two in the 2017 NFL draft, Chris Godwin, yes. uh, he had an amazing diving catch, had a red zone touchdown. He's so slept on Trevor. Could you please tell uh, the gentle listeners about the hive that is Chris Godwin hive? Dude, he is. He's <laughs> unreal. It seems like every practice I watch, every game that I've watched, at least as of late, you know, really almost the, the second half of his rookie year on, I've been asking myself, how the heck did this guy last till the third round? Yeah. How? It was it's just so – and Chris Godwin was funny because Chris Godwin was a guy where you liked the tape already. Hmm. And then he ran in the 4-4s, which <laughs> people didn't expect. And it's almost like people thought to themselves, there's no way that's right. And they didn't like <laughs> up his stock because of it because yeah. Tampa got a gem in Chris Godwin. He is – and I said this going into the year. Um, you know, I was on some fantasy podcasts going into the year. I'm like, look. Chris Godwin's more valuable than Deshaun Jackson. And it's 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 kind of funny that I say that because Jackson obviously had an incredible first big day. But you could also see flashes from Godwin of, of why I said that going into the year. This guy is a bigger body. He can block in the run game. He can handle all kinds of different defenders. He's got the size. He's got the speed. But the most important part, he has the consistency. Like if you throw this ball to him, I would I would almost trust Chris Godwin to come up with a catch more than any other receiver on this team, including Mike Evans. I mean, when 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 Mike is in the zone, like when Mike is almost like in revenge Mike Evans mode, he's incredible, and I'd, I'd trust him. But some of those, I mean, Godwin's Godwin's touchdown catch against the Saints. I don't know if if, if you caught that one or if you've yep. gone back and and but like <laughs> for him to turn and catch that back shoulder ball as it was going out of bounds and then for him to somehow get two feet in bounds. Yeah. It, you just see what kind of a natural that guy is to play wide receiver. And um, boy, the bucks are glad that they have him. He is a, he would be a wide receiver one on many other NFL teams. No question. You, you look at him in his college career. Like you, like you said, I don't understand how the hype wasn't bigger. He balled out on big competition too. He had a touchdown on a Dory Jackson. He beat uh, Gary and Conley. He's so fantastic at the catch point at not necessarily separating throughout the route stem, but creating space at the catch yep. point and paired with his body control. It's fantastic. So another wide receiver that I want to talk about real quick is um, Marshawn Lattimore's dad, Mike Evans. Um, yes. How, do, how uh-huh. do you cover him? <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it was funny going into that game because obviously a year ago when the team was in New Orleans, that was the game that, you know, Jameis did the whole pokes Marshawn Lattimore thing when he was on the sideline. And then Mike Evans comes out of nowhere and just like WWE blindsides (laughs) Marshawn Lattimore. And that was, I mean, that was a culmination of a lot of things. There was a lot of frustration in that game. That was really the first game all season where Mike Evans had truly been locked down. Yeah. I mean, he went against he went up against Xavier Rhodes earlier in the season, but he, where his production, he didn't get the stats. There were plenty of times where Mike Evans had Rhodes beat. He just didn't get the ball against Lattimore. Was not the case. He could not get space on Marshawn Lattimore, and so we asked Mike Evans before before the Saints game. Obviously, it's a natural to say, hey. 
you know, you're going up against Marshawn Lattimore again. Is there a little extra motivation here for you, you know, going up against a guy that really got the better of you last year? And of course, he he gave the PR answer where it's like, no, you know, I I I go, you know, I get I give a hundred percent against against every guy I'm going up against, and I'm like, yeah, okay, buddy. And in the Saints game, the first catch that Evans made, I think it was just a simple in route, like a, like a five yard in route, and Lattimore was on him, and he got up, stared at Lattimore, spun the ball right in front of him for like a five yard catch, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's it's on. So Lattimore had a tough time, and and that's why I'm saying, you know, when when Evans plays with that edge to him, it's very, very difficult for any cornerback in the NFL to be able to handle him. Because Marshawn Lattimore, I truly think, is if he's not already one of the best, then he's well on his way uh, to being one of the best. And Mike Evans j- handled him all game long. So, yeah, Philly fans are just hoping that they do not get a on-edge Mike Evans is all I can say. Because when you do... He is absolutely one of the top five receivers in this league. So one of the keys for the Eagles in limiting Mike Evans and some of those downfield throws for Evans is getting pressure. And I'm, and I'm looking at this and I'm seeing that Ryan Fitzpatrick was pressured on only six of his 34 dropbacks. That's 18%. Now I'm looking at Matt Ryan against the Eagles and he was pressured 38% of the time. Can the Bucks line hold up against this Eagles buzzsaw? It's going to be a tough test. I mean, the Eagles defensive line is real good. And, you know, they are very aggressive in everything that they do. And so it's going to be – it's it, it will definitely, you know, obviously two weeks in, but it, it's probably going to end up being their toughest test of the entire year. Here they're getting in week two. And now I will say this, going, going into that Saints game, the Bucks offensive line did not have a lot of time together. The starting five did not have a lot of time together because of the injuries that we saw, little injuries that kind of held guys out throughout training camp. And I was like, man – you got Ryan Jensen coming in for the first time at center. Uh, Caleb Beninox starting for the first time at right guard. You know, DeMar Dotson wasn't there for most of training camp because he was recovering from surgery he had over the offseason. It just wasn't a lot of time. And I was worried about the chemistry that the guys had. But, man, they handled the Saints. They handled them really well. Uh, they looked like Bulldogs in there. They, they were they were roughing the Saints defensive lineup. They were creating great holes in the run game as much as uh, forming a pocket in the pass game. And so I certainly don't think that the pressure percentage is going to be that low again, uh, especially with the Eagles defense coming to town. And I, I know how aggressive that they can certainly be. Um, but I will say that, you know, if you asked me this two weeks ago, I would have said, yikes, yeah, defensive line for the Eagles, definite <laughs> advantage. But now I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm just interested to see. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a dogfight. Yeah, we talk about time to throw with the Eagles a lot and limiting that pressure percentage. And Fitzpatrick got it out an average of 2.3 seconds time to throw, which is super lightning fast so that's one way you can definitely keep him upright if they can keep that up they they have a chance to to keep him uh, upright and he, he's got wheels too he can move around yeah before <laughs> didn't think that but uh when he scored <laughs> on that rpo on the goal line i was like okay i've seen everything yeah exactly cameron dude i just gotta say real quick Go cameron ahead. jordan cameron jordan obviously very good defensive Pro Bowl defense he was the he was the key man on that play yeah and Holy crap, did he in no way, shape, or form think that there was any world in which Fitzpatrick <laughs> was going to keep that ball. He crashed on Peyton Barber harder than I've seen any defensive lineman crash on an RPO setup. I was dying. That was so funny. It was amazing. Okay, so before we flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, 
Uh, the running game for the Bucks. What is going on with that situation? Because you drafted Ronald Jones from USC. Uh, he got no time. He was inactive uh, against the Saints. Yep, yep. And you're looking at a combination of Peyton Barber, uh, who had 69 yards after that, Ryan Fitzpatrick with 36 yards. What's the situation there in Tampa Bay? Yeah, it, I mean, it is going to be the Peyton Barber show. And um, a lot of people might think that, that 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 necessarily like spells gloom and doom. But here's the thing, man. You know, Dirk Cutter's passing offense, a vertical passing offense, all you really need is the run game to be solid enough to alleviate the things that you want to open up in the pass. So, sure, you can all sit here and say, yeah, I'd love to gain 150 yards on the ground and control the clock the whole time because it's the least risky thing about playing offense. You just hand the ball off, and if it works, it works. But that's just not how the Bucks operate. And so to think that they would do that is – you're fooling yourself. And so Peyton Barber is a guy who he's a very big dude. Um, you know, six, six foot two thirty, um, moves North to South very well. And that's what they like a lot about him. They'll hand him the ball and he's just going to go up and he's going to get you as many yards as he can. Uh, Ronald Jones, not the same way, not the same kind of running back. And as of right now, Ronald Jones's skill set to them is a luxury and going through this stretch of their season, very tough stretch here, especially without Winston, they're not really in position to play luxury talent. They have to play exactly what's going to be best for their offense to get them down the field and to get some points. And so with that said, it's without a doubt Peyton Barber. Peyton Barber is the workhorse dude. Uh, Jacquees Rogers is going to be the third down back for pass catching and pass blocking. And then everyone now and then they're probably going to throw in Sean Wilson, who is their rookie undrafted uh, guy out of Duke. He handles a lot of their kick return duties, and that's why he – is on the roster before Ron Jones is. But I don't even know, you know, especially with how hurt their cornerback group is now. Yeah. I would still be surprised if Ronald Jones even played this week, be looking at what they did last week. And so um, if you're a, you're an Eagles fan looking forward to you know, previewing what the Buccaneers are going to be doing, you could take a look at how they ran the ball versus the Saints, and it's going to be a lot of the same. They're going to want to try to replicate what they did last week. Absolutely. Okay, flipping it over to the defensive side of the ball, and we'll kind of take a look back at the, at the game with the Saints as well as we dig into the details, and we'll touch on those cornerbacks that you talked about. Twice in the game, the Bucks scored 17 unanswered points, two different points in the game. And just glancing over the game and seeing some of the turnovers, the fumbles really helped the Bucks, especially the return for a touchdown by safety, Justin Evans. It felt like every time the Saints were about to get back in this game, they shot themselves in the foot. And, th and those were big. I, I mean, the Saints were driving up and down the field. Breeze was 37 for 45. And that seemed to be the difference. Or Trevor, am I just like a live football poor that isn't seeing it in the proper light? No, no, it definitely was. Um I think that they I think that they probably would have won the game without one of those fumbles, the one that they returned for a touchdown they certainly needed. But yeah. you know, fumbles are a funny thing because as a defensive you hear defensive people say all the time, like, oh, we gotta win the turnover battle. We gotta create turnovers, all this kind of stuff. And interceptions you can kind of plan and you can have skill for, but fumbles are pure luck. <laughs> like I I don't, I don't want to say luck, but I mean, like, I definitely know what you're saying, but yeah. you cannot plan on them. You cannot plan on them happening. And so they're, they're not, they're not stable. They're not sustainable. And like, you know, we're going to, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good way. That's a good way to put it. Now, obviously you want your defensive guys always trying to punch the yeah. ball out, not saying that, but the fact that it did come out twice and it would came out twice in crucial moments uh, yeah. was definitely in the Bucks favor there. And so the, I, I went into the game saying, 
that the only way the Bucks win this thing is if it's an ugly game and they win the turnover battle. Well, they won the turnover battle, but it was anything but an ugly game. So um, <laughs> I think I can be half right, right? I can, yeah. I can blow that. But this defense, the entire year, I think, as you, as you look at their roster and certainly the output that Mike Smith has had over the last two years and how he gave up 40 points in the first game, granted, I, I understand it's to a Hall of Fame quarterback, if they don't get turnovers, they're going to be in trouble. And so that's why I still have my reservations about how good and the, the ceiling of this Bucks defense could be, including this week against Philadelphia, knowing that they have played softer defense. They do give up a, a, quite a bit of yards. They, they allow their opponents to drive the field pretty easily. And without those turnovers, they would have made it a lot. They would have made that game that they should have won by a lot against the Saints a lot tighter than it had to be. And so hmm. um, I think, again, you know, you're probably looking for – the Bucs got to win the turnover battle. Even if the offenses are great, um, that's got to be something that they win every week. And I just don't, like you said, I don't know how sustainable that is. And looking at that that cornerback situation that we had alluded to before, they're going to have to get some picks off of Nick Foles. And look, the opportunities might be there. You never know with Foles. He's a little bit helter-skelter. But that situation in the cornerback room is getting thin. Brent Grimes missed last week with a groin injury. Vernon Hargraves was said to have a potentially season-ending shoulder injury. And we're recording on Wednesday morning, like we said. But he's going for a second opinion today. But wow, man. Both those injuries would press uh, more action for Carlton Davis, who got his first start in week one, and then third-year man Ryan Smith, that would press him into action. They've also brought in cornerback Bashad Breeland on a visit. How does that impact what the Bucks want to do defensively? You know, it's a little bit interesting because you know you could have looked at this Bucks cornerback group, even going into the year fully healthy, and thought, that's the worst cornerback group in the NFL. <laughs> and... Now they lose their top two guys. <laughs> and so <laughs> now, you know, not great. But I will say this. The Bucks have been in a little bit of an identity crisis on defense over the last two years. And I think the reason is because Brent Grimes has been their best corner. Brent Grimes plays at his best when you allow him to play off coverage. You allow him to read a quarterback, use his experience, his athleticism, his burst, his recovery speed to then make an impact on the ball and even cut some passes off get some takeaways. That is when Brent Grimes is the best. He is very much an off-coverage corner, especially because of his size. Every single other cornerback on the Bucks roster <laughs> does better with press coverage. Yeah. <laughs> so, what you know, Mike Smith gets up there at the podium and says all the time, well, we got to play to our guy's strengths. Okay, well, you have an extremely divided defensive backroom. And that's not even to say, before they even drafted Justin Evans, they had quarters coverage type of safeties with press coverage corner. And it just like, it didn't make any sense. There was no <laughs> definity in what they were doing on the back end. And so yeah. I do think that it obviously hurts when you lose guys as talented as Hargraves and, and Grimes are, but this might be the opening for them to, because Carlton Davis, the rookie clearly plays better with press coverage. MJ Stewart, the other rookie from North Carolina clearly plays better when he can get physical. Uh -huh. So it's probably going to be, and Ryan Smith, he Ryan Smith is just not nearly experienced enough to play off coverage. He gets burnt all the time in off coverage. And so he's much better if you, you let him be a little bit physical, maybe jar a ball loose here and there. And so we might see them go more towards press than we've ever seen the Buccaneers do before, just because of the injuries. And I, you know, you never want to ever want to say that your top guys getting hurt is good, but perhaps it might be a blessing in disguise for these younger guys. Cause it might put them in a better scheme to do what they do best. It's certainly going to be a tough test going up against, you know, the, the reigning Super Bowl champions anyways, and you're a rookie in the NFL. But there is a little bit of a silver lining there, even though that those top two guys probably not going to play on Sunday.
Yeah, and I 100% understand what you're saying there as far as just the philosophy of the defense and what you want to be. Do you want to be a press man corner team or do you want to play off? So having that continuity there, obviously there's going to be some growing pains to go along with that. That's understandable. There's a lot of young guys in that secondary. Uh, so I hope they stay that, uh, that, that progression off for one more week when they come uh, and play the Eagles. But uh, looking at how they can help their cornerbacks, this pass rush uh, didn't seem to, to show up too much to me. I know they sacked uh, Drew Brees one time, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see the pressure stats, but it didn't look like Drew Brees was under duress too much, and he was able to deal from the pocket. Where is this pass rush coming from? Is it something to be concerned with, especially when you look across the you know the, the offensive line of Lane Johnson, Jason Peters, Brandon Brooks, Jason Kelsey are all top-tier players with Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl caliber talent. You throw in Steve Wisniewski, who ain't bad either. Can they generate any kind of rush to help these cornerbacks? Yeah, that's the big, you know, that was the big topic in the offseason, certainly, is is this was, this was the uh, lowest sack total team in the NFL last year, um, and it was abysmal. I, t- I can tell you from watching every single regular season game, it was abysmal. Um, it didn't matter what the offensive line they were going up against, which quarterback it was, what the offensive scheme was, how long they held the ball. They could not get home, just at all. And so, in the offseason, they add guys that – you are very familiar with Bo Allen and Vinnie Curry. They also <laughs> trade for another guy that you're probably very, very familiar with because you've seen him a lot, Jason Pierre-Paul. So they obviously do their due diligence. They got Vita Vea. I don't think Vita Vea plays this week. I really don't. So they have they have a revamped defensive line, and they have a lot of big, big firepower, if you will, that they added that should have made it better. But as Gerald McCoy would say himself, it takes time. It takes hard work. And – these are two really tough tests right out of the gate. I mean, in the Saints game, you've got Drew Brees who gets the ball out of his hand faster than like anybody I've ever yeah. seen. So that was just really tough for them to even get. Because, you know, people were people have been complaining about Pierre Paul's first game because he didn't really get much of a pressure. But I remember on three plays in particular where he just roasted his guy one-on-one and it should have been a sack. But because Brees knew exactly where to go with the ball in the pre-snap, ball's out of his hand. You can't even get to him. I think that they're going to fare a little bit better against the Eagles, but again, their offensive line is real good. So this is another, it's another tough test for a different reason. You know, I ultimately think that I, I'd give the, if we're doing like a matchup, uh, I'd give the check mark to the Eagles offensive line. At this point, I still think that they're going to hold up pretty well, but uh, first game at home, the defense is, is going to be rocking, you know, with the crowd and all the energy and, and playing this, the former Super Bowl champs and, I'm sure, you know, Bo Bo and Vinny and them are are, going to be amped for it as well. And so it'll be interesting again. You know, I think the trench is going to be a really nice battle between these two teams. But um, I do think the Eagles certainly have the offensive line to kind of hold the Bucks at bay. So I am looking up the line right now and I'm going to put you on the spot right now. It's (laughs) it's minus three for Philadelphia. The over under is set at 44. Trevor, gun to your head. Which way are you going? Um, eighty-five percent of the betting action is on Tampa Bay right now, so that line is going to move. <laughs> I, I would, I would take Tampa Bay in three points. I really would. Oh, okay, okay. I would take Tampa Bay in three points. Hard disagree. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that's um, why we're here, we'll, though. You know, I, I don't, I don't remember what the over/under game was for the Saints game, but I think it ended up over. <laughs> well, of course, of course, but I, I don't even, I don't even remember what the number was. Because right, right, right. The the Bucks were the biggest dog in the NFL last week, and so. Yeah. The under the over under must have been, I don't know, like foot like low forties. 
Yeah, and I mean, with, with Breeze, maybe it was around 48, maybe, but I don't still, know. dude. But what? one team basically 88. outscored the over, so that was that's <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I I would take the I would take the, I don't I maybe maybe I'm just drinking the Kool Aid, but I would take I would take the Bucks and some points this week. Like I said, 85 percent of the betting action is from what this site is telling me is going towards the Tampa Bay Bucks, so that point spread is definitely going to move. So you're not alone on this, Trevor. You're not. I don't think you're being a homer at all. You've got very well reason to to believe in this team after coming away with a, a shocking win. And hopefully, and uh, what we're going to find out today apparently is the quarterback. Uh, the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, the starter, is going to be named today. We still expect it to be Nick Foles, but you will see some hot betting action if it's actually Carson Wentz. And uh, I might be running around the streets naked, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay away from your neighborhood, man. Yeah, please do. I mean, that's a good bet any day of the week. So. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. Would you let all the gentle listeners know where they can find all of your excellent work again? Yes. Uh, PeterReport.com is where I do uh, all my Bucks coverage at, but I do a lot of interaction on Twitter as well, at Tampa Bay Trey, T-R-E. Um, Michael and I go back and forth at, all the time, so he knows he knows the tomfoolery that that is had <laughs> on Twitter.com. And so it's always a blast on there, not just talking about the Bucks, but I talk about all kinds of college football and around the NFL and everything like that. So um, if you enjoy football, sports in any way, give me a follow. Inter- never be a, never be afraid to interact with me. I love talking with all kinds of people about some sports. And so, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on the podcast, man, really. Absolutely, man. It was very, very fun on the first edition of the Kissed and Sycama show. That there you go. Nice. There you go. Getting it kicked off. Yeah, your job is under under uh, extreme pressure here, Select. you got to bring it next time. All right, we're getting out of here. Thanks for joining us. Remember, five stars on iTunes. Leave those, those reviews. Uh, we'll read them on air if they're funny and if they're you know especially complimentary towards me and maybe if you rag on Ben a little bit. Uh, but as always, we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.